Welcome to the By Every Word Bible Study Podcast, where once a week we'll have some time to share with one another, looking at God's Word and how it can better our walk with Him. Please have your Bibles ready as we begin our time of study now. Welcome back to the By Every Word Bible Study Podcast. I hope you are doing well and are ready to study God's Word together today. And this lesson will be part four of our study series together as we look in the Word of God to see God's plan of salvation. Last week we began diving into the plan of salvation by looking at the first two parts of God's plan. Those parts being first, hearing the Word of God, and then believing the Word of God. This week we will continue our study by viewing the next part of God's plan, repentance. To begin, we must first define the word repentance. In the Greek, the word repentance is translated to a Greek word which means after thought. This word, simply put, is the act of reflecting on what you did, of thinking about what you did after it has already happened and evaluating the choices you made under those circumstances. It is a critical reflection of what choice you have made and the impacts of that choice. As with many words used for centuries, the actual meaning of repentance has been diluted quite a bit in the world today. In fact, when a common person is asked what repentance means, they may just say maybe it's the act of being sorry. And this is not just talking about the worldly definition, but also the spiritual definition. People just think that it's the act of being sorry about what they have done. Biblically, we can read and discover that biblical repentance is much, much more than just being sorry. It is being sorrowful. Not only is it generic sorrow you may have over anything in life, but it is a sorrow expressed towards our sin against God. With this sorrow comes so much more in biblical repentance. At times we may say or do things that may not be sinful, but we can regret those things still, can't we? Maybe it's a a joke that fell flat in front of our friends, a, a person maybe we have hurt, unintentionally, or something we did in our work that maybe made our job or our work day worse. We look back and we regret those things and wish we could change those things, but we're not sorrowful in a biblical sense about those mistakes we made. Those mistakes were commonplace, and while we can be sorrowful about those and sad, we can just be sorry. There's not that biblical sorrow and evaluation that comes with repentance that is shown to us in God's Word. When it comes to earthly things, we are just kind of stuck with the choices we've made and the impact of those choices on our lives. However, biblical repentance is not just the act of being sorrowful. It's not just the emotion of being sorry. And it's not the act of being stuck in the mistakes that we have made. It is being sorrowful and regretful, yet hopeful for the future that we have through the grace, mercy, and love of God in heaven. If you have your Bibles, as always, feel free to turn along with me as we view the Word of God together. In our first passage we will look at, we actually will turn to later on in our study together, is 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10, where the Bible tells us in, in a nutshell what the definition of biblical repentance is. The Bible says, For the sorrow that is according to the will of God produces a repentance without regret, leading to salvation, but the sorrow of the world produces death. 
And this verse will be the focus of the majority of our study today and the thoughts presented to us by this verse. Firstly, as we begin to dive into biblical repentance, let us take time here to look at the wording of this verse. And I typically do use the 1995 New American Standard Translation, but I urge you to turn to this verse and look at me, look at it with me if you are able. Or you can do so later if that's more convenient to you. And the King James Version says, For godly sorrow worketh repentance unto salvation. So us looking at this verse here, we see a couple of ideas presented to us, don't we? The first one being repentance is a vital part of God's plan for salvation, for it leads unto salvation. Secondly, repentance, while needed, is not the actual point where salvation is granted through the will of God. Going back to what has been discussed in our study so far, all of the parts of the plan are equally important, and teaching anyone can receive the gift of salvation without being obedient to all parts is incorrect. We cannot build a home without first building the foundation. We cannot start construction with the roof and then work our way down for the rest of the house. Jesus Christ being the chief cornerstone, is the foundation of the church as God wills. Furthermore, hearing and believing is the cornerstone of God's plan. And if you take time to think on this, it makes sense, doesn't it? How are we able to understand the purpose of salvation, of baptism, if we do not first understand what it means in context of the Son of God? How are we able to believe that God loved us so much that He sent us His only Son if we do not first hear the gospel or read it? Also, how can we be forgiven of sins if we skip over that repentance, if we skip over this sorrow and this hope that lies in that sorrow of being forgiven through Jesus' blood? Is there salvation without repentance? Of course not. However, does repentance alone grant us salvation through God's will? Again, of course not. How do we know this? Well, one of the best ways to view repentance can be found by the one calling out in the wilderness, John the Baptist. So John the Baptist was in the wilderness and he lived his life for the will of God. John's purpose was not to promise or to grant salvation through what he was doing. Rather, his purpose was to prepare the people for the coming of Jesus Christ. John's baptism is actually the first mention of the word baptism in the Bible. However, as we will see in our study together, it is not the same baptism that exists to us, for us, from the day of Pentecost until now. It is important to understand that all of John's ministry, the impact of it was all done in that preparation of something coming that is so much greater than John. John's ministry was preparation for something so much greater than even the old law had allowed people to follow and to adhere by. John was ministering in preparation of the coming Messiah, Jesus Christ. We will now read John chapter 1, verses 24 through 27. There the Bible tells us, Now they had been sent from the Pharisees. They asked him and said to him, Why then are you baptizing, if you are not the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? John answered them, saying, I baptize in water, but among you stands one whom you do not know. 
It is he who comes after me, the thong of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. We see here in these verses that John is ministering not for himself or unto himself. Again, he is working, as the Bible says, for he who came after him, whose sandal he was not worthy to untie. Well, what does this teach us about repentance? In this selection of verses, not much, does it? But when you combine those with Luke chapter 3, verse 3, and these same ideas are being presented, it makes so much more sense. And we see in Luke chapter 3, verse 3, that the Bible tells us, And he came into all the district around the Jordan, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Of course, anyone who believes in the saving power of Jesus' blood understands that at this time, there is not actual forgiveness of sins being given through baptism. And what the Bible is showing us here again is that John was preaching a baptism of repentance. And with this baptism, a coming Savior. The fullness of God's will was coming that would be able to cleanse them of their sins and iniquities. And it is important to understand the difference in baptisms here. John was not offering a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins, but he was preaching it, and he was talking about the coming of that forgiveness. And while the baptism of John was ordained by God, as shown in Matthew chapter 11, verse 10, it is not the climax of God's plan, for Jesus had not yet begun his ministry at this point. Without Jesus, of course, sins are not forgiven. And this idea is better described in Acts chapter 19. In that passage, there were people who said that they were baptized unto John's baptism. And they were wondering, should they be baptized again after Jesus, after his life? So we see here John's baptism before Jesus' life, which they were baptized unto. Should they be baptized again after the fullness of God's plan, after Jesus had died on the cross and was resurrected? Well, the Bible tells us in Acts chapter 19, verse 4, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in him who was coming after him, that is, in Jesus. Then the Bible tells us in verse 3 of the same chapter, when they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. So why was the baptism of John not sufficient for forgiveness of sins? Because without Jesus, there is no salvation. As great as John was, John the Baptist was not perfect. He had faults. He had sin. And anybody else who has ever lived is not perfect except for Jesus Christ. So we see here that John baptized with the baptism of repentance unto salvation. Let's continue by looking at Luke chapter 3 verses 15 through 19. Now while the people were in a state of expectation... And all were wondering in their hearts about John as to whether he was the Christ. John answered and said to them all, As for me, I baptize you with water. But one is coming who is mightier than I, and I am not unfit to untie the thong of his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. We see immediately here that there is a difference between the baptism of John prior to the resurrection of Jesus and the baptism of the first Christians that we see in Acts chapter 2 onwards in the Word of God. 
So why are we studying this baptism today if this is not the part of God's plan that deals with baptism for salvation? And baptism is worthy of its own lesson, maybe more than one as we get there in a couple of weeks. But the reason we are studying this for repentance is because John, while baptizing for repentance and while teaching the coming salvation through Jesus, was preparing for that baptism in Holy Spirit and in fire that can only come to the Son of God. John goes on to talk to the crowd and he begins to discuss with them what this repentance was all about. Luke chapter 3 verses 10 through 14 tell us the following. And the crowds were questioning him saying, Then what shall we do? And he would answer and say to them, The man who has two tunics is to share with him who has none. And he who has food is to do likewise. And some tax collectors also came to be baptized, and they said to him, Teacher, what shall we do? And he said to them, Collect no more than what, have, what you have been ordered to. Some soldiers were questioning him, saying, And what about us? What shall we do? And he said to them, Do not take money from anyone by force, or accuse anyone falsely, and be content with your wages. The crowd was telling John that they felt their genealogy would be their salvation, that because they had an ancestor, this idea that your family tree could save you was commonplace among those who were not studying and were not obeying God's will at the time. However, John responds to these false teachings by what we see in verses 10 through 14. So while John did not come here and say the words repent in this section, he is showing the crowd how to live selflessly for the glory of God. Go against these social norms at the time. Don't take advantage of the power that you have. Give to those who are in need. Tax collectors, do your job and nothing more. Although you may be in an earthly position where you could do more for your own benefit, just do your job and nothing more. Live not for money, live for God. Likewise, soldiers, do your job and nothing more. Live not for power, live for God. Repentance is not only that sorrow we discussed at the beginning of our study today. It is not only the wanting to change, it is subjection to God. It is knowing through both hearing and believing the gospel that we are nothing and we have nothing without God. It is going against social norms, it is breaking free from social expectations and living wholeheartedly for God. A heart that has repented lives for others through the will of God, through knowledge of the word. A heart of repentance not only wants to reflect on their iniquities and strive to overcome them, but they strive to live even better. It is that living in subjection to the love of God. Still, even in the times of Jesus, there were some who felt, as we saw earlier, that they too were too good for repentance, that somehow situations outside of their control can make a person more worthy and less reliant on repentance than others. So how did Jesus go about discussing this confusion? The Bible tells us in Luke chapter 3 exactly what Jesus said to his response. There the Bible says, starting in verse 1, now on the same occasion there were some present who reported to him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mixed with their sacrifices. And Jesus said to them, Do you suppose that these Galileans were greater sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered this fate? I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. 
Or do you suppose that those 18 on whom the tower in Siloam fell and killed, them were worse culprits than all the men who lived in Jerusalem? I tell you no, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. And this verse is discussing two terrible situations. The first one being where Pilate had ordered a group of Galeans inside of a temple to be murdered. And we see here the quote that their blood was mixed with the blood of idols. And also 18 others killed by the falling of a tower. And of course, human reasoning causes us to question, why would such a thing happen to people? And the crowd had this same question and Jesus realized it. But they thought they had found their answer. The crowd falsely believing that the actions and the sins of this man were greater than the others. And because of their sin, they were put to death in these terrible, terrible ways. The crowd had fooled itself into feeling superior. They were acting as if the sin was their judge and not the justification of God, as the Bible tells us. We live in a world where we know the following. Bad things can happen to good people. Good things can happen to bad people. We also know at the same time that good happens to good and bad happens to bad. So to make the assumption, as the crowd did here, that the actions of an individual dictate their fate, dictate their life to this manner, is not biblical. Furthermore, these people here were making this claim that, in a sense, that their sin caused the Galeans to deserve this fate. But to them, their sin was not as great as the Galeans. Of course, today, through the fullness of the gospel, we understand that we have all sinned. We are not held up higher on a totem pole than anyone else because we have all sinned and have fallen short of the glory of God as soon as we reach the age of accountability. Sin has no rank. All sin is sin, and all sin separates us from the grace and the love of God. Praise God, then, that we do have salvation given to us through Jesus Christ and his sacrifice on the cross. After this false claim that these people almost had what was coming to them based on their actions, Jesus makes a bold claim that still has truth for all of mankind even today. I tell you no, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Now, as we have discussed, repentance is not the moment that salvation is granted to the obedient person from God. It is not the time where our sins are washed away and we are made clean. But at the same time, it is a vital part of God's plan. And we could spend so much more time looking at the Word of God and these differences. For the sake of our study today, we just need to understand the importance of repentance. We understand that the earthly definitions that we have and the meanings that we may come up with for repentance in our earthly minds pale in comparison to the truth of gospel repentance and what it means for us. We begin our study today by reading 2 Corinthians chapter 7 verse 10. We will end our study by reading 2 Corinthians chapter 7 verses 8 through 12. There the Bible says, For though I caused you sorrow by my letter, I do not regret it. Though I did regret it, for I see that the letter caused you sorrow, though only for a while. I now rejoice not that you were made sorrowful, But that you were made sorrowful to the point of repentance, for you were made sorrowful according to the will of God, so that you might not suffer loss in anything through us. For the sorrow that is according to the will of God produces a repentance without regret, 
leading to salvation, but the sorrow of the world produces death. For behold, what earnestness this very thing, this godly sorrow has produced in you, what vindication of yourselves, what indignation, what fear, what longing, what zeal, what avenging of wrong, and everything you demonstrated yourselves to be innocent in the matter. So although I wrote to you, it was not for the sake of the offender, nor for the sake of the one offended, but that your earnestness on your behalf might be made known to you in the sight of God. This is repentance. And go back when you have time, if you're not following along in the Bible with us at this moment, to view these verses and think about that. This is repentance leading to salvation. And Paul was showing this repentance here, a repentance that took place for them hearing what the Word of God would have them do. These people were made sorrowful according to the will of God. What then came from their sorrow? And again, verse 10 tells us, For the sorrow that is according to the will of God produces a repentance without regret, leading to salvation, but the sorrow of the world produces death. They had repentance with no regret. A sorrow full of longing to turn to the will of God. A sorrow leading to salvation. Not granting salvation, mind you, but leading to salvation. In our walk as Christians, or as those who want to become a Christian, we have to have reached this part of God's plan of salvation. We have to repent or we have had to have been repentative. And this repentance is so very important for just like hearing, just like believing, it leads into that salvation. John the Baptist taught baptism of repentance leading to salvation. However, repentance does not stop upon salvation as we will see in a few weeks. As we understand that we must remain faithful as Christian children. Repentance is a lifestyle for Christians. A constant desire to grow and become stronger in our faith. Repentance leads us to salvation and then strengthens us in our salvation through God's will. Next week we will continue our study together by looking at confession. But as we end this morning, think about that repentance leading into salvation. Think about what that means for the Christian. Think about the impact it makes. As we saw in 2 Corinthians chapter 7. Think about what we can do to become better Christians each and every day. Thank you so much for listening. And as always, feel free to reach out to us at beachhillyouth at gmail.com. That's B-E-E-C-H with any questions, concerns, if you need prayers, whatever it may be. And as always, may God bless you and yours. And may we live by every word.